Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to the What's Next podcast, where I'm thrilled to welcome Joel Peterson to the show today. He currently serves as chairman of JetBlue Airways. He's the founding partner of Peterson Partners and has a long history of growth capital investments in a variety of industries. He founded five companies and sits on the board of directors of other companies, including Franklin Covey, Integric Partners, and Ladder Capital. He's been on the faculty at the Graduate School of Business at Stanford University, where he teaches entrepreneurial management. He has written two books, one, The Ten Laws of Trust, and most recently, he published Entrepreneurial Leadership. Welcome to the show, Joel. Nice to be with you, Tiffany. I'm just thrilled to have you. One, uh, because I'm a huge fan of JetBlue. Two, because uh, I didn't go to get my MBA. So I love talking to people (laughs) who (laughs) help educate the minds of the next generation of leaders. Um, And and more importantly, I just, you know, I really enjoy uh, all the work that you've done. So welcome to the show. Well, nice to be with you. Thank you. So I start off with something I call bullish and bearish. Uh, It's just a couple of quick questions that uh, we, we start off the show with. That's nothing too painful. Bullish is you are for it. Uh, bearish is when you are against it. And are you ready? Ready. All right. The first one, remote learning, bullish or bearish? I've become bullish. Yes. I can't wait to talk about it. So hold that thought. Yes. I knew you would say that. All right. The next one, uh, is artificial intelligence joining board of directors. How how artificial intelligence uh, works with boards of directors. Is that like, yeah. Like if you were to have an AI, like, you know, literally be on the board. Oh, <laughs> bearish. All right. That's okay. That's what I said. These are fun. So, you know, not to, not to go too crazy, but, uh, but you know, obviously AI is feeding the boards with information and, but sure. I mean, literally like having an AI sit on the board, I thought that was a fun one, right. Or even a robot, but yeah. all right. Next one. Also fun flying cars. Bullish or bearish? Bullish. Mm, nice. All right. Well, I don't even know where to start on all that. So, <laughs> all right. So let's start. Uh, why don't we start uh, just because of of the timing of everything? Uh, we're in the middle of a lockdown, uh, pretty much globally, but most definitely in the United States. And and I know being the chairman of JetBlue uh, and traveling quite a bit, you and I share that in common. I just wanted to sort of get your thoughts on on what you think from an industry and and how you are viewing our ability to you know recover from all this. Well, it's going to be a while, and there will be and it'll be changed. I mean, I think we'll be we won't have as quick a turnaround on planes. They'll be carefully cleaned. People probably won't be sitting as close together, um, and so there'll be certain things that'll kind of ease us back into it. But I think fundamentally, people want to be with friends and family. And they do better if they're meeting face to face. And so I think travel will come back. It, it'll just uh, ease its way back in. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, and I could just say I hope so. <laughs> you, yeah. know, uh, you know, while I enjoy obviously being home with family, uh, you know, I, um, I live my life on airplanes. And so I also am not that upset if we're going to get more space on airplanes, too. I mean, I think that that's... That's a good thing, and and them being more clean. So, well, thank you for that. Um, but there's lots of exciting things to talk about. Uh, I, I'd love to start, if you don't mind, with your previous book on trust. I think 
There's so much out there that has been spoken about, about the sort of crisis of trust and in the market uh, with companies and brands and, you know, anything from supply chains to pay to work conditions, equal pay, et cetera. And, and I know that so many people anyway, that I know that have, have read your book and including myself that I really found sort of how you framed this culture of trust is being so invaluable. I'd love to just hear how you sort of landed on that uh, thinking and then decided that he wanted to put it down on paper because I think it's just an amazing, amazing uh, book for any leaders out there listening that that it's a must read. Well, uh, so the, the notion that there are laws that underpin trust and that you can be intentional about following these laws, you can build a high trust culture, which is absolutely the most powerful way to manage a company. If you've ever been in a turnaround of any kind, you know, you need the support of suppliers, investors, uh, your customers, your employees, and that kind of trust you can't build in an instant. You have to build it a conversation at a time, a delivery of a promise at a time. And so it's a really powerful thing. Now, the problem with trust is it gets betrayed and then it's hard to restore. So it's this really precious thing that is very powerful, but also can be very fragile. So I thought it was really worth examining. What are the laws of trust? And uh, that's really how I got involved in it. Well, so maybe you could share as well, because I think that's a big word. And, and you know, many that listen to this podcast are individual contributors. And, and so let me start there, because I think, you know, when you work for a company, there has to be this level of trust. But just even amongst teams and peers, whether you're a leader or not, correct? Right. And so, you know, what what can people do if they feel like they're not feeling this warmth of trust where they're working or in the teams or the managers they're working for, or the leaders, you know, what, what do you think is the best thing for people to do when it comes to navigating, you know, as your own individual sort of feeling that uncertainty uh, from a work perspective around this topic? Well, the first thing you can do is become trustworthy yourself. And that really means delivering on promises and being transparent. And each of us is in charge of that. So we, we can control that. The second thing I think is work with people who are trustworthy. It's very difficult to have a high trust organization if you have a low trust leader. If the leader doesn't have integrity, that's kind of table stakes for building high trust organizations. And today, people are information. They're volunteers. They're, uh, they're knowledge workers. And so they have options. And so my view is if you if you end up around a bunch of people who are scoundrels, who are not trustworthy, uh, pack your bags, go someplace else. Life's too short. Yeah. And if, and if you have that level of trust, it gives you an edge because so many things become so positive, right? Well, not only positive, but things get done a lot faster. Uh, people are more innovative. They're more flexible. They'll try things. And if they don't work, they, they have a high enough trust level that they can go and correct them. And so uh, I, I just find people are more innovative, flexible, uh, and the agreements they make are more durable because they're based on trust. So I think everything works better. Plus, I think in the end, people are much happier working in a high trust environment. I agree. And I think, you know, in this time that we are right now, I feel like this level of transparency uh, has had to increase so exponentially. And, and I think that that transparency is based on trust. Uh, and, and when you have 
I don't know. You know, I mean, we could get really philosophical here for a second, but I mean, I feel like when, when people are uneasy and insecure and scared and, you know, fear is, is, uh, you know, they're battling that on a, on a personal level that they look to where they work and their leaders to sort of, you know, help calm them. And, and there has to be this high level of trust. And so, you know, for brands out there that are trying to weather this storm, um, both from a you know internal and revenue perspective, but more to just kind of keep the employees uh, engaged and happy, and you know even the, the comment we made about remote remote uh, education, right? Remote work uh, and trust has to be really high. Yeah, I think in these times it's even more so because, in a sense, you know, I mentioned turnarounds before. In a sense, we have a whole economy that's in turnaround, and it's really going to require high trust leaders to lead us through this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, I, and you know, like I said, I mean, I think that that it was just such a fantastic book. Uh, and, and I'm not surprised then to sort of lean into the next one, which uh, is going to be coming out right, right as this podcast is launching. So perfect timing. Uh, it's called Entrepreneurial Leadership. Uh, and, um, I, you know, I'd love to hear sort of your thoughts. I know that you've been teaching this at Stanford for some 20 plus years. Uh, so I'd love to hear kind of what made you decide to take the leap once again and write another book. Yeah, it does. I know you've written a book, so you know how much work it is. Um, it's really, it's really a, a challenging experience. But for me, uh, I just felt like I should, at this stage of my life, I've started a bunch of companies and I've invested in probably 250 and served on 35 boards. So I've observed sort of what works and what doesn't in this entrepreneurial realm. And I've really... Uh, figured that uh, we need more entrepreneurial leaders. And by that, I mean people who can do all of the things, who are are beyond just entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs are amazing at innovating, lighting fires, but they don't always tend the fire. They don't always turn it into a wildfire. Uh, So sometimes it dies out as a little campfire, but they're, they're amazing at that. But I really would like to introduce people to the idea that the true entrepreneurial leader is one who actually creates a durable enterprise. And that goes beyond being just an entrepreneur. So entrepreneurial leaders are what I call five skill leaders. Like we have five tool baseball players, you know, who, and, and I, I note that five tool baseball players can run, throw, hit for power, hit for average and field. Well, entrepreneurial leaders really have skills as presiders, as politicians, as managers, administrators, and as entrepreneurs. And they can knit all those together in a way that really creates a durable enterprise. And I think in this world, and particularly as we recover, we're going to need a lot more people with entrepreneurial leadership skills. Absolutely. And, you know, I... I have to say that, you know, there was a time, right right as I was actually thinking about writing uh, my book, and people were like, why don't you just, you know, go out on your own uh, and you know, start your own business? And I really had to do this deep soul searching and realize that I am not an entrepreneur. And I think it was a, a huge relief kind of off my shoulders. I've given myself so much pressure and thinking that why can't I just like, you know, step out and do this on my own? And it had everything to do with all the things entrepreneurs are so good at that are not my superpower. And I have such a high respect for entrepreneurs, especially in light of everything that's going on now. You know, they're the backbone of of this country and communities and cities around the world. Uh, And so I think it just takes an absolute, you know, uh, 
certain kind of person to be an entrepreneur. Would you agree? I would, but I also think people can learn a lot of those skills and there are different flavors of entrepreneur. I, I would say that I'm the kind of entrepreneur who can take a messy situation and fix it. I'm not the kind of entrepreneur who can go into the garage and come up with a new product or new idea. I really admire and think those guys are amazing, but sometimes they need people like me to help turn it into a real business. So I think the entrepreneurial leader is one who can go soup to nuts, who can kind of create the whole thing. But I think you can enter that entrepreneurial uh, arena at, very, uh, at a number of different places. And so you may be more of an entrepreneur than you think you are. Well, I think I'm super good at the ideas, like you said. I'm terrible at everything else. You know? <laughs> well, you, you know, the great thing about business is it's a team sport. Yes, you know what it you're is. Good at and what you're not so good at, you can hire people. You can bring people in you, because you really are forming a complete team. And if you imagine it, you know, let's say a football team, it wouldn't work very well if everybody were built like an offensive lineman or like a running back. You know, you need people who have different body types, different skills, different speed, different hand to eye coordination, and that creates a whole team. And so you're clearly a member of a team and you may be one of the idea people. You just may need somebody to administer and manage. I don't disagree. A friend of mine, uh, Naomi Simpson, she's a shark in Australia on Shark Tank Australia and is a, you know, obviously a big entrepreneur. And she was the one that was having this conversation with me when I was at this crossroads of what should I do? And, and her piece of advice or, you know, sort of her insight to me was, look, I have strengths and non-strengths. This is her words, right? So she doesn't say weakness. She says non-strengths, <laughs> and which I've totally borrowed now. It's kind of mine now at this point. Yeah. And uh, she says, and I hire people for my non-strengths. Yeah. She goes, I'm really good at this stuff. She goes, but I've learned how to surround myself and obviously been very successful. She was E&Y's Entrepreneur of the Year in Australia. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, like, so she's... She's, you know, one that I would say, you know, I have seen masterfully surround herself and then do what she's really good on. But but I'd say the next step in that is, um, you know, if you're starting with trust and get the right team, the next thing is, you know, kind of agreeing on what's the mission and purpose of the business. Yeah. Well, so just a quick story there. I'm old enough to have worked with Peter Drucker, who was really kind of the father of modern management. And I met with him down at Claremont one time and talk to him about how to develop the areas that I was weak at or non, had non-strength, as you would put it. And uh, he said, uh, build on your strengths and make your weaknesses irrelevant. In other words, hire people in, get people, surround yourself with brilliant people who make those non-strengths disappear. And I think that's really good advice. That's the same advice that your friend in Australia gave you. Yeah, and I, I, I think it's just fantastic. And I, and I think part of that is, you know, just along my own journey, right? Just having the confidence to, to say, look, I, and I think there's, I'm an intrapreneur, you know, mm-hmm. obviously, like I like working in the companies and I like, you know, the, I've worked for startups, I've worked for medium size, and obviously now at Salesforce, it's a very large organization, yeah. uh, but I'm given such freedom, like all those things that we talked about already, right? The trust, and I, I work with a great team and, um, and so I feel like I'm an entrepreneur in many ways, but, but I also get the opportunity, uh, similar to what you get to do in, in teaching at Stanford and, and some of the consulting that you do, but I get to go and meet with all kinds of companies around the world. And I'm learning constantly about 
you know, all the things that they're doing. And I think it, it gives me such a unique perspective to just uh, then that's sort of my way of being, you know, uh, living the life of an entrepreneur vicariously through the people I help. Sure. Well, that's very entrepreneurial. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So if you, what, what, what's your, you know, from an, from an entrepreneur that, you know, might be listening and saying, or, or someone who's listening, who's working for a company and then says, Hey, I want to actually want to go start my own business. I mean, so many amazing businesses were started uh, during the time uh, of our great recession. And, you know, obviously we've got this massive recovery uh, that's going to have to happen on a, on a global basis. And you could think, you know, the Dropboxes and the Zendex and the, uh, the Ubers and the Slacks and the Instagrams were all started the last time around. And so, you know, this is just ripe opportunity for entrepreneurs to go out there and, and really, uh, you know, do something. Yeah, so uh, this book is really built around the concept of uh, drilling peers to, to bedrock. And there are four peers. I talk about the first one is becoming trustworthy, building a high trust set of relationships, because ultimately businesses and relationships rise and fall based on trust. The next thing is have clarity around a goal. There are so many things that you could choose to go after. I, I talk about it as a mountain range. You can decide to climb any of the peaks, but if you don't get everybody climbing the same peak and finding meaning around that peak and belaying each other, uh, you'll have a hard time getting there. The third thing is you've got to have a team. Uh, and that means uh, selecting people, bringing them on board, coaching them, advancing them, giving them feedback, et cetera, all the things you have to do to build a great team. And then finally, it comes down to execution. And so what I tried to do with the, with the execution section or this fourth uh, pier, um, I'm using a, a construction analogy, drilling piers to bedrock. This fourth one is um, a set of checklists, things that you have to do, uh, you know, in order to run effective meetings, in order to work well with a board, in order to sell, in order to negotiate, um, in order to uh, overcome adversity to raise capital, to communicate effectively. These are the 10 things that I find that every entrepreneur struggles with at some level. So it's a really a whole series of checklists and examples. So it's a little bit like a pilot flying a plane. You know, it doesn't matter if you've flown for 20 years, you always go over the checklist just to make sure that you've covered things. So it's trying to give entrepreneurs a checklist for each of these things that they're likely to run into. And, you know, now from... You know, we said during the uh, uh, the bullish and bearish about the sort of remote learning uh, and teaching, you know, because you have such an opportunity, obviously, at Stanford teaching so many students on this particular topic. How have you seen those things change over the years? Like, did you see phases of, wow, this was what everyone asked me and what I was having to focus on? And then this happened and now everyone was asking this. And have you seen sort of the phases of entrepreneurship, uh, entrepreneurship adjust over time? Yeah. So a couple of things have happened. One is there was this dot-com period at Stanford where everybody was starting a dot-com. It was just wild. And then that blew up and everybody started to go back to work for banks and consulting firms, et cetera. And then it's become more and more entrepreneurial again. So there, it's kind of come in waves. And I think we're going to see an, another big wave after this is all over. Um, and then also I've had this amazing parade of leaders both 
new entrepreneurs, as well as we've had people like Steve Ballmer and Alan Mulally and famous business people come in and basically talk to students for 80 minutes, just Q&A. And so I've been exposed to, to all of these leaders for years and years and years and kind of have heard their stories. And you get to kind of compare and contrast and understand the challenges they've had, see them respond to students. And uh, students are quite interested in entrepreneurship today, as you know. Absolutely. And, and I think that uh, that's the way to do it. I mean, you know, I think the best way, well, for me personally, I learn, I'm a visual listen learner. Stories are my medium. That's the best way for me to learn something. And uh, when I, I went to undergrad at Arizona State, so I'm a state school girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was maybe my first year end of my first year, right before my second year, I have to start thinking about a major. And I wanted to do an undergraduate in business. And my college counselor at the time told me that business wasn't really for me Um, because my grades weren't that good in sort of the undergraduate business classes, right? And, you know, you're 19, 20, I think you know it all. (laughs) That was part of my problem. But besides that, it, it had a lot to do with, I had been working for a friend's family business for many, many years. And she was one of the very first uh, uh, female presidents of YPO and, you know, was running a million dollar business, multi-million dollar business. I was from, I'm from Hawaii and it was sort of outdoor carnivals and indoor arcades, random sort of business, but really great in Hawaii when the weather's fantastic year round. And I had to learn about, you know, ordering and merchandising and sales and marketing. And I had to count the cash and hire and train and fire. And, you know, and I was 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, she trusted me a lot. And of course I made a ton of mistakes, but so then I show up to college and I'm, you know, listening about, you know, how supply chain works. And in my head, I'm like, that's not really how it works from a book. Right. And so I learned early on that that's where my classroom was. My classroom was, you know, get my degree, get out, start working, try different, you know, career paths. And then hopefully I find, you know, something I'm super duper passionate about and, you know, then, then I can really, uh, enjoy it. And so, you know, I think that having executives come into your students is a fantastic way to get them to actually hear from, uh, people who have actually done it. Yeah. Well, I always tell my students that I learned more thinning sugar beets, delivering papers, mowing lawns, having a vegetable garden, being a a busboy and a waiter and all these kinds of manual things than I ever did at Harvard Business School about how the world works and how people think and feel. And I think a lot of business is being able to communicate with other human beings and caring about them, delighting customers, knowing how to sell and negotiate. And you don't always learn those best from books or in classes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, if there's anything you could say, um, you know, about this amazing new book, Entrepreneurial Leadership, which is, you know, due out. So everybody listening, please go out, support Joel and as well, his previous book, which I really enjoyed as well. Uh, You know, anything you would leave those, our listeners for, uh, you know, those aspiring entrepreneurs that are listening. Well, I'll tell a funny, quick story about it. Uh, I was going to write it and call it Running Stuff because I really admire people who just make the trains run on time, who figure stuff out and run stuff effectively. And uh, so I proposed that to HarperCollins and they and they took it out and market tested it. And they said, you know, that attracts joggers. And so we need to call <laughs> it 
entrepreneurial <laughs> leadership. And so the subtitle is The Art of Launching New Ventures, Inspiring Others, and Running Stuff. So I finally got it in there. But but I think it's uh, I think it's quite topical at this stage. And I think every I think the world does need more entrepreneurial leaders. So I hope people will will find it helpful. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Joel, for joining me today on the What's Next podcast. And and any last words of of how people can find you and continue to listen to your amazing words of wisdom? Well, I'm on LinkedIn and I think there's a I think I'm at Joel C. Peterson. There's a website and uh, and I I just don't I don't follow myself, so I'm not sure. I know I'm on the Web. Well, good. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Joel. Again, congratulations on the latest book. Thank you for everything you do out there. Uh, and hopefully one day I can come and uh, listen into one of your classes at Stanford. So thanks for being with us today. Thanks so much, Tiffany. What a fun conversation. I just really enjoyed having Joel on the What's Next podcast today, talking about trust and that how the culture of trust gives competitive edge. And if you can just let your people know where you stand and that they trust what you're saying. It's just really removes all of these barriers to allow people to just innovate and be them best, their best selves on every single day. And then entrepreneurial leadership. You know, I wish I had that gene. Um, I don't, but you know, I think that, that those that do are just the lifeblood of communities everywhere around the world. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please go out and pick up a copy of Joel's book. Thank you for listening to the What's Next podcast. Subscribe, tell your friends, leave a review. I look forward to having you join me again next time. Take care.